Welcome to the Tournament of Everything Facebook Live Edition. That's right. We're glad to see you, and if you're seeing us, we're glad for that as well. That's right. Normally this is a podcast, but we decided since we're in the same place geographically for the first time in a while, why not do a video? That's right. This is a rare and wonderful experience, uh, but so is this ultimate tournament of everything, where we face off literally everything against everything else. And we do so by pulling out our giant deck of infinity cards, not with 52, but with an infinite amount. We then go around to passers-by saying take a card any card once we passed by and distributed literally an infinite amount of these cards uh minus one the very last card will be the one moving on to the next round of the ultimate tournament of everything that is a lot of cards mm. and i only have a deck of 53 Ah, yes, uh, it's one short of a, of a full one, uh, but that doesn't surprise me. Coming from you, so why don't you tell us what we're actually going to be doing. We will actually be picking random pages off Wikipedia using a random Wikipedia page generator. Comparing those two by two over nine rounds and figuring out which of those nine would move on to a second round in our Tournament of Everything. He's no joker, and he's not kidding. That's exactly what we're going to do, so uh, join us as we jump in to round one. In round one, we have Tins Hill against Kalsi. Two fantastic things that both appear to be places. Uh, one, Tins Hill, perhaps Tinshill, uh, unknown at this point. Uh, actually, nope, it is known, Tins Hill. District in Leeds, uh, England. The other, uh, Kalsi, a dispersed settlement in, it looks like, Slovenia. Tins Hill, pronounced Tins Hill, mm. is a district in Leeds, four miles north of Leeds city centre, West Yorkshire, England. It was the Danes in the 9th century who named the hill Tindris Hill. Since the 9th century, many exciting things have taken place here. Um, looks like, though, at this point, it's mainly made up of council-owned social housing, although a growing number of these houses are privately owned. Um, it's near the Tins Hill BT Tower, also known as the Cook Ridge Tower, which is one of the highest points in this city. Yeah, it looks like a cell phone tower. There's a lot of things on there. It definitely looks like a lot of radio dishes. Yeah, there's uh, more. It's got a lot of satellite looking things. Probably gets exceptional reception. Um, yeah, it's uh, located uh, on the side of Mosley Beck. Not sure what that is. Uh, it's made up of a mix of current and former authority housing. Uh, as we said, uh, it's being developed and uh, mostly blocks of brick uh, built council flats. Now, as for transportation, the Tins Hill and Corkridge Social Club and Institute, a working men's club on Woodnook Drive, is the terminus of the first Leeds bus service number 19A, a route known as the Park Line. The number six bus route, the Sky Blue Line, also runs through Tins Hill, 
and Route 19A runs from Tins Hill via Headingley Stadium, Leeds City Center, names a lot of places, basically ends at University of Leeds to Leeds. It does. It leads to Leeds, um, and it also leads me to uh, jump over to our other competitor, Calce, the dispersed settlement in the Pohorje Hills north of Slovenska Bistrica in northeastern Slovenia, uh, part of the traditional region of Styria. Now, this area, city, settlement? Dispersed settlement. 5.1 kilometers squared in area, 659 meters above sea level, and a total population of 121 people you probably haven't met. Uh, but wouldn't you like to? And uh, you could probably meet them all, 5.1 kilometers, that's only two square miles, not too far to knock on all of the doors. Um, looks like it is pretty far northeast in the nation of Slovenia. Um, in the the statistical region of Drava. Great. That doesn't help me identify where it is at all. And the map doesn't really help either. Well, we can certainly state that it is in Slovenia. And um, that is, you know, kind of the most important part about it, it would seem. Uh it's included now with the rest of the municipality of Slovenska Bistrica in the Drava statistical region. Now the question is, would we want to take this small village dispersed settlement and move it on to the next round, or would we rather move Tins Hill on into the next round? This is a tough call because we don't know a whole lot about either of them. Uh, we are confined to the information contained within these Wikipedia articles. But, uh, uh, you know, uh, sometimes you got to just make a choice in life and uh, work with what you got. What we don't have is very much about either of them, but we have even less about Calce. Um, I'm not even sure that I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, Tins Hill. At least uh, we know you can probably get all the radio stations you want looking at this high point tower. Yeah, and I think because we know a little more about it, I think I want to learn even more when it shows up in the second round. Mm, just a little taste will leads you on to needing a little bit more, and I think that's why Tinsel took the lead in this round, ultimately scoring a victory. Moving on to the next round of the Ultimate Tournament of Everything. Good job, Tins Hill. Yes, Good indeed. job. Yeah, um, I kind of like Tinder's Hill better, though. They've got uh, two Ys there. Uh, T-Y-N-D-R, not even an E between the D and the E. And Hill is H-Y-L-L. I think that's my preferred spelling of that word. Yeah, you can spell it two ways, but another thing you can do two ways. It's time for round two. In round two, we have visa requirements for Bruneian citizens against Barbara de Asti. Mm -hmm. um, so things necessary to be able to attain a visa in, uh, you know, for Bruneian citizens. Um, in, I don't even know offhand exactly who that would be versus Barbara de Asti uh, looks like a fancy wine made from red grapes. Visa requirements for Bruneian citizens are administrative entry restrictions by authorities of other states which are imposed on the citizens of Brunei. As of the 28th of September 9, or 2019, Bruneian citizens had visa-free 
or visa on arrival access to 165 countries and territories, ranking the Bruneian passport 21st in terms of travel freedom. It sounds very free. Uh, in fact, this is unique. Brunei is the only country whose citizens may travel without a visa to all of the permanent member countries of the UN Securities Council, uh, including China, France, Russia, the UK, and the US. Uh, it's also a part of ASEAN and has visa-free access to these countries uh, and vice versa. So good to know uh, if you're looking for a different place to travel. Now, there are only three other passports that provide either visa-free entry or entry via an electronic travel authorization to the world's four largest economies, China, India, the European Union, and the United States. So basically, if you are um, somebody from Brunei looking to travel the world, uh, this here Wikipedia article is going to tell you exactly what you need to do so. Um, not listed here is a uh, sense of wanderlust and, uh, you know, fascination with what else is around the globe. Um, and it goes on in great detail. But speaking of what else is around the globe, let's check out our other tasty competitor, Bar. Barra d'Asti. It is produced in the hilly areas of the provinces of Asti, which is 67 municipalities, and Alexandria, which comprises 51 municipalities. Barbara d'Asti was accredited with DOC status in 1970 and DOCG status in 2008. This is a particular wine that has, you know, just like uh, you know, our visa requirements, this has some specifications that it must meet. A minimum of 90% Barbera grapes must be used. And uh, the balance may be made up with either Fresa, uh, Grignolino, or uh, Dolcetto grapes. So uh, very specific. The wine must also be made before the date of the 1st of March, immediately following the harvest. And uh, it's also got to be got to have an alcohol content of at least 11.5 or uh, they're not having it. I didn't know there were so many qualifications on wines and grapes. And I thought grapes, there was kind of like red and green and then seedless red and green. Well, wine not if you've got the good stuff, uh, you know. Insist on it being good and true. Um, it has been possible to produce Barbera de Asti Superior, uh, for which the wine must have an alcoholic strength of at least 12.5 by volume. And this is aged for at least 14 months, uh, six months of which is in an oak or chestnut barrel. Now, the Niza DOCG was added to Asti's Barbera portfolio in 2014. And this production rules that the use of 100% Barbera grapes is required and a maximum mm. yield of 7 tons per hectare and a minimum aging of 18 months. So uh, jumping back over to our other contestant, the, the visa requirements for Bruneian citizens, what would it require for them, uh, apparently not much, to be able to go to this uh, Barbera region and uh, try some of that delicious wine? Uh, it looks like they've got it. And a pretty clean path to it. Yeah, what country is that? Uh, was it France? Italy. Italy. Visa not required. And just think about it. It's easier to get to the wine than to actually make the wine. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? I think given the level of difficulty, I think the winemaking might have the edge in this round. I really like the concept. I think I'm just jealous. Um that they can travel all over the world like that without a visa, without anything like that. Um, 
frankly, I, I guess I'm not up to date on our requirements, but it doesn't feel like you can just, it doesn't feel like we're free to move about the globe. <laughs> well, for a while there we weren't. That's true. That's true. Uh, perhaps we should look into, you know, seeing how things are these days, but not really uh, feeling like I, well, maybe I can get some of this wine here and I won't need to go all the way over. Uh, that being said, that's kind of what my trip would be for. And so I think before we go any further, I'd like to con concur with you moving Barbera de Asti on to the next round of <laughs> The Ultimate <laughs> Tournament of Everything. Very nice. Yeah, wines are complicated. I'm sure there's a wine snob out there that's going, hmm, I don't like this one. The tannins and the whatevers are not as good. Well, you know, that uh, the 100%, it's going to be, you know, you, you can't get maybe the specific palate uh, blend that you can. I don't know. I don't know anything about it other than it sounds super fancy. Uh, it's spread rapidly in the 19th and 20th centuries, and it's uh, considered to be one of Piedmont's principal red grape varieties. Ah, you know, it's, uh, it's, it sounds tasty. We'll try it out. Cheers to you, Barbera de Asti, and uh, cheers to round three. Three. It's time for round three. In round three, we have Arthur Poplowski against trigonal bipyramidal molecular geometry. Uh, two things we all already know so much about. Um, we've got Arthur Poplowski, a uh, Polish chess master. Uh, knew a thing or two. I don't know if he knew anything about our other competitor, Trigon Trigonal Bipyramidal Molecular Geometry. Um, pretty much speaks for itself, where you got one atom at the center and five more at the corners, obviously. But uh, hey, let's pop over to our good friend, Poplowski. Arthur Poplowski, born 1860 in Warsaw and passed away in 1918, also in Warsaw, Polish chess master, mm -hmm. started his studies at the Imperial University at Warsaw with a Russian language, and in 1879 moved to ETH Zurich. It's five years later in 1884. Yeah, uh, crushing it. And uh, just before that, in 1883-84, uh, competitor, he took second place. Uh, behind the individual who took first place in the Warsaw City Chess Championships, uh, scoring 19 out of 22. Uh, I'm not sure how you score. Is that how many pieces you took away? I But there aren't 22. I have no idea how chess scoring works, actually. I thought it was just win-lose. Maybe it's like boxing scoring, because like you don't get just like one point per punch. You know, They've got a whole, a whole yeah. thing. They kind of keep it secret, uh, just like the secrets of a chess master. Um... Don't move your queen too soon, they say. Yeah, he apparently twice shared first place with Max Pestalozzi in the Swiss Chess Championships in Zurich in 1889 and at the Winter in 1890. Very smart guy. Uh, after all of that, he returned to War Warsaw and uh, worked as an engineer. Uh, there is a picture of him here, uh, a dapper-looking fellow with a nice little mustache and a sweet part on the side. Um... You know, I'm sure he was uh, checking a whole bunch of mates over there, uh, winning tournaments and all of that, uh, with perhaps um, a geom geometric uh, something or other. Speaking of a geometric something or other, let's check out our other competitor, Trigonal Bipyramidal Molecular Geometry. As everybody knows, in chemistry, a trigonal bipyramid formation 
is a molecular geometry with one atom at the center and five or more in the corners of a trigonal bipyramid, mm. as we all know. This is one geometry for which the bond angles surrounding the central atom are not identical. And because there is no geometrical arrangement with five terminal atoms in equivalent positions, that's why, hence the different angles. Well, the, the five atoms bonded to the center atom are not all equivalent, and two different types of positions are defined. Uh, for phosphorus pentachloride, as an example, the phosphorus atom shares a plane with three chlorine atoms at a 120 degree angle to each other in equatorial positions and two more chlorine atoms above and below the planes. There we go. And there's axial and equatorial positions. Axial, think of the ones that go up and down, equatorial, the ones out on the sides. And it's there's a picture there which is very helpful. Otherwise, there's a lot of words I don't understand. Well, maybe I could shed a little more light on this Please. for you. Because in the mixed halide PF3Cl2, the chlorines occupy two of the equatorial positions, indicating that fluorine has a greater epicophiliosity or tendency to occupy an axial position. Well, of course. Of who, course. Who didn't know that before? No. Uh, perhaps our other competitor, Arthur Poplowski. Um, but we have pretty much shared all of the information that we have about this individual. Mm. Um, it looks like chess is a board game. And yeah, uh, yes. ETH Zurich is a public research university. Uh, it's where he went to school. Swiss chess championships uh, take place in Switzerland. And uh, you know what? That's about all I can tell you. It'd be hard to tell you anything further about its competitor, though. So here we find ourselves in one of those difficult moments where we have to make a decision. Yes, we do. Do we make a decision for the guy who understands the game better than we do or the people who understand this better than we do? Either way, they're smarter than us. Mm, yes, as so many, 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 many are. Uh, but I got to think that fundamentally... We'd be okay without Arthur Poplowski. And I don't know if we could do without trigonal bipyramidal molecular geometry. I don't know that we couldn't. I don't know hardly anything. But I do think that uh, if I was going to remove one or the other from the planes of existence, it would have to be Mr. Arthur Poplowski, which means, by default, I'm choosing our good friend, uh, I'm going to call him TBMG, to move on to the next round. I think I have to agree with you only because I didn't know Archer Poplowski existed, and that didn't impact my life at all. But I think if you take this molecule away and I really need it, I'd find out pretty quickly. Too true. So we're not going to take it away. In fact, we're going to keep it and move it on to the next round of The Ultimate Tournament of Everything. I think that's the right move. Yeah. Uh, check and mate. Um, castle. Hi, Rook. Are we, are we just naming chess pieces right now? Yeah, um, I, I'm not Bingo. sure. But uh, certainly the king of that round. Let's see who is going to, uh, you know, capture the flag. Is that what chess is about? Nope. In the next round, round four. Ah, my round four is ready. In round four, we have the Winter Swimming World Championships against Pompiglassa Flacosa. 
Okay, yes. Um, we have definitely the Winter Swimming World Championships. Uh, hopefully they got out there before the water turned to ice. Makes it a lot harder to swim yes, through. Versus Camp Piglosa Faco. Flocoso. Um, basically, this is one special fly. Let's see which one's going to be able to fly into the next round. Now, the Winter Swimming World Championships is the Master Championships in men's and women's age categories A to J2, organized by the International Winter Swimming Association, of which I did not know there was one, mm. which was founded in 2006 after great success and huge international attendance at the 2006 Finnish Winter Swimming Championships in Ulu. Uh, held at uh, biennial intervals and various locations uh, since the year 2000, they do follow the IWSA winter swimming rules. Um, before we get into an overview of the, uh, you know, the teams involved and perhaps some of the victors, I'd like to draw attention to their logo. It's somebody swimming through a snowflake. So, are they like actually? Is this like cold water events? I. I'm really hoping that it is winter swimming, but I kind of doubt it. I kind of think it's still indoors, but I, I'm not positive. It doesn't actually say, oh, hang on. The planned venue is Lake Onega near the town of Petrovitz, Pet, Petrozavodsk in the Republic of Karelia in Russia in March. Oof. So, I mean, if it's at the lake... In March, maybe it is cold water swimming. Yeah, it certainly sounds like it. Lake Onaga is a lake in northwestern Russia. Uh, so it's up there and up there in the territory of the Republic of Karelia. Um, it belongs to the basin of the Baltic Sea, second largest lake in Europe after Lake Ladoga. Uh, it's got to be chilly. Uh, so these have got to be some, uh, you know, some just cold-blooded competitors swimming their way uh, to victory. Um, but I tell you what, why don't we paddle our way on over to our other competitor, the Campiglosa flocosa, a species of tephritid. Yeah, or fruit fly, hmm. apparently. And that's, that's all we know. It's found in the Virgin Islands. It's very annoying, and it flies. Yep, uh, it Definitely does fly. Uh, looks like it's from a family of fruit flies, uh, of which there are about 190 different varieties. Um, and its family, wow, has about 5,000 different species. Uh, must be a really interesting uh, family reunion. Gross one, though, when they get together. Uh, but hey, um, one man's uh, trash is another man's uh Gourmet dinner if you're a fly. As we all know, winter is the best season because there are fewer bugs, and that includes flies like this one. So for that reason, I'm going with the swimming in the winter, even if it happens to be deceptively inside. Uh, yeah, and I, it doesn't look like it is, but it uh, definitely is impressive. I've never seen a fly swim very well. You know, they... If they get into that position, I haven't seen it really go well for them. Yeah. So I think that uh, basically any of these competitors, although none of these competitors, as far as I know, can fly. Um, and competitors going from about 500 different participants in the year 2000 to 1,042 uh, in 2020. So this is very, very popular, very, very cold, and I think very, very successful here in this first round of the Ultimate Tournament of Everything. 
Yeah, and actually looking at it a little more deeply, when they swam in Slovenia, they had the first competition in the lake. So, yes, they are swimming in the water outside. This one, water, zero degrees, plus butterfly style. Okay, that's that sounds cold. Yeah, uh, I noticed there is no fly style. Um, perhaps that should be an indicator in and of itself. Are we in accord here? We are. All right, fantastic. Winter Swimming World Championships, uh, you're swimming your way to victory and on to the next round of <laughs> the <laughs> Ultimate Tournament of Everything. Cold. Very cold. But if you'd like to warm up just a little bit, uh, perhaps feel that heat kindle in your heart, you can join us every Tuesday and Thursday for a full-length Ultimate Tournament of Everything episode just like this, where we pit off nine rounds, two by two competitors pulled from the vastness of everything, and find out which one will be victorious as we're doing today. And every other day of the week, we put out a scouting report, a short one looking into just one of those competitors before it is forced to compete. Uh, and we'll see what we think about it, see what you think about it, and uh, we'll see our way into the next round, round five. In round five, we have Hilton Kelly against Intacap Instituto de Capacitacion. Ah, yes. Um, okay, these are two very short articles. Um, I We've got one person, I don't know anything about their height, and we've got another one that's hmm. got a uh, very long acronym. If you stood it on its side, it'd be relatively tall for such a thing. Um, and so I think we should see how they're going to stack up. Yeah, so Hilton Kelly, former American actor and environmentalist from Port Arthur, Texas, awarded the Goldman Environmental Prize in 2011 for his fight against pollution of the Port Arthur District from petrochemical industry and waste facilities. He is definitely a grassroots environmental activist. Um, he's also an actor. Uh, it's interesting here, though, that uh, they put uh, his occupation as actor, um, but they don't have any, uh, you know, anything that he's been in listed. Uh, probably is just that good. Yeah, actor, no photo, no filmography, so must be great. Yeah, um, I, I have no reason to assume anything else. Um, but before we just get into assumptions, let's quickly jump over uh, to Intercap. Now, the INTICAP, Instituto Tecnico de Capitacion y Productividad, is a university in Guatemala. I probably pronounced some of those words incorrectly, and if you're in Guatemala, I'm sorry. I'd say that in Spanish, but I seem to have forgotten that, too. Uh, let's see here. A university is an institution of higher education, and Guatemala is a country in Central America. That is about all that I'm able to pull from this particular Wikipedia article, which we're taking as representative of them as a whole. Yeah, so. listed in this article, it says the article does not cite any sources, so you too could put an article on Wikipedia. Oh, yeah, but Bono uh, would probably write something weird about this, and gosh knows what the Edge would put about this, this university. It's probably better that they stay out of it and just you know keep making music. Yes, yes, that is... I'm glad you picked up the U2 I was mentioning. 
so speaking of you two, I'd like to you know jump over to our other competitor, Hilton Kelly. Um, you know, basically this guy looks like he's trying to you know in a dirty world clean mm-hmm. it up just a little bit. Yeah, and I I think that is admirable. Even if they don't put a picture of him in the article, I think he's doing enough to move on. But I think his competitor is also doing enough, and I think. I might need to settle a tiebreaker with myself. Okay, well, perhaps I can uh, help out just a little bit. Um, we've got, you know, a, an acronym. You, you take a whole bunch of words, you put it together, and then you you cut out most of the letters, mm-hmm. and you got another word that's not a real word. Oh. Okay, uh, so that's kind of neat. And Hilton Kelly, um, you know, I, I would just, I can't wait to see the films. Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. movies, mm-hmm. or or plays, it I, we don't know, but uh, I can't wait to see his next production. Uh, so, I too am torn. So why don't we just settle this the only way that we can when we find ourselves at an impasse? Time for a tiebreaker. The only way we can actually settle a tie is by traveling to both of these places. You're going to go to Port Arthur. I'm going to go to this university. You're going to swim in the bay. Mm -hmm. I'm not. Whichever one of us grows the third arm the fastest is the winner. That's correct. Uh, But I hate to tell you, uh, I have already sprouted uh, a wrist. And I'm not going to tell you where, but it's a head start and it's not fair. So why don't we just pick a number between 1 and 10,000? Let's do that. And okay. we should also get that growth that you're, on your neck looked at. Uh, yeah, probably. Um, you know, I was hoping that I'd just have more grabbing ability. Yeah, I don't think that's going to help you. I'm going to pick the number 73. And who will you be uh, assigning your number to? Oh, the university, of course. The university, okay. And Mr. Hilton Kelly, I think I'm going to go with the number 2011 because that's when he was awarded the Goldman Environmental Prize. Okay. Our randomly generated number is 2,891. Oh, okay. So, Mr. Hilton Kelly, you've won again and uh, are moving on to the next round of The Ultimate Tournament of Everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's... Oh, Hilton Kelly standing up for the West Side. Is that a credit of his? I think it's probably just an article from. It's an article paper. about him. Okay. Yep. And it's when his him. dream came true. Oh, because he Joe. Let's learn. Nope. He was in the movie Nash with John Don Johnson and Cheech Meredith. Okay. Okay, so confirmed. He's got stats. He's got a victory. And we've got to get on to round six. Five. Round five. Round five. Round five is what we did. Well, I'm not doing it again. we got to go to six now. Oh, yeah. Round six. There you have it. There is your winner. Round six. In round six, we have another environmental justice issue the conservation of private grazing lands against mount kailash ah okay so very important things standing tall uh we've got a farm bill uh which basically let people and uh more importantly or specifically uh their animals graze on land which is definitely essential to the uh, well-being of those animals 
versus Mount Kailash, uh, which is in China. Very tall. Um, got some snow on top in the picture here. And uh, it's considered sacred in at least four religions. Now, the conservation of private grazing lands was enacted in the 1996 Farm Bill and most recently amended in the 2002 Farm Bill. This program provides coordinated technical, educational, and related assistance to preserve and enhance privately owned grazing lands. That's nice that the government says, you know what, we think your private land is important to you and we're going to help you maintain it. Indubitably. Um, it authorizes the creation of two grazing management demonstration districts and uh, appropriations are authorized at $60 million annually from discretionary front funds from fiscal year 2002 through fiscal year 2007. Now the two grazing management demonstration districts are, be are to be selected by the Secretary of Agriculture from landowner applications. And where sound grazing practices will be promoted, those are the places they will pick. Each district is supported by a technical advisory committee as well. So it sounds like if you're doing it right, they're going to help you to keep on doing mm -hmm. it. Because um, that's good for everybody. Uh, speaking of good for everybody, let's jump over to this beautiful, uh, just righteous mountain in the uh, Tibet Autonomous Region of China. Yeah, it's in Tibet, China. Get over it. Get over it. It's in Tibet. Sorry. Sorry. Free Tibet. Sorry. <laughs> I've upset all our Chinese listeners. Free Tibet. Uh, so it lies in the Kalish range of the Transhimalaya in the western part of the Tibetan Plateau. And it's less than 100 kilometers towards the north of the western tri-junction of the borders of China, India, and Nepal. It is more than 100, uh, at least meters. I'm not sure uh, the... I should probably know, but at least I do know that it's 6,714 meters. That's 22,028 feet tall. That's um, a lot. It is truly a lot. Of a freedom lot. feet. It lies uh, close to a couple of lakes, and it's uh, the source of four major Asian rivers, uh, or rather the source lies close to this mountain uh, and uh, the two lakes. The region around Mount Kailash and the Indus Headwaters area is typified by wide-scale faulting of metamorphosized late Cretaceous to mid-Cenozoic sedimentary rocks that have been intruded by in igneous Cenozoic granite rocks. Well, that's fun. It's a rock fight. Mm. Well, you know what else rocks is uh, the name of this mountain. It's it's known as Kailasa um, uh, from a Sanskrit word. It could also have been derived from the word Kelasa, uh, which means crystal. Oh. Yes. Uh, in the Tibetan, in a Tibetan English dictionary, uh, Chandra uh, in 1902, on page 32, uh, identifies the entry for Kailasha, um, which is a loan word from Sanskrit. Now, it is significant in several religions, including Hinduism, Jainism, Buddhism, and Bon. And there's even history of pilgrimage to the mountain and people have been climbing it as well. Yeah, it looks like in Hinduism, it's recognized as the abode of Shiva, who resided there along with his consort goddess Parvati and their children. Uh, in Jainism, it's uh, the site where first Jain attained moksha, uh, liberation. And in Buddhism, uh, it is central to its cosmology. 
Since the 18 or 1980s, the numbers of pilgrims going on the Kailash pilgrimage annually has grown considerably. And in 2007, over 70,000 people visited the area and the two holy lakes nearby. Too true. Um, but, you know, something is, you know, what's more holy and sacred than life itself? And uh, going back over to our other competitor, the conservation of private grazing lands. I think that was, you know, to keep... Make sure that people would have land to keep their animals alive. Uh, good practices to do mm -hmm. so. Encourage that uh, for future living people uh, to emulate. Uh, definitely good and important. But uh, holy cow, this mountain is standing pretty tall in my mind right now. Yeah, I think I have to give it to the mountain just because the fact that it stands above the competition. Mm. And, you know, we seem to be giving it to the mountain as well, mm -hmm. because due to climate change and global warming, uh, it's actually being affected three times faster, the mountain itself, than the Tibetan pl uh, Plateau, uh, faster than anywhere else in the world. Uh, Mount Kailash is located in a mountain range upon the Tibetan Plateau, and according to local observers, uh, the land has been growing warmer and warmer in recent years. Pilgrimage season isn't as cold as it used to be. Uh, glaciers are retreating. Lakes are shrinking. Uh, I wonder if the mountain itself is shrinking. Uh, well, probably not. Probably just the snow and ice on top of it. Okay. Well, I can say that this mountain certainly didn't shrink in the face of competition, and I'd like to put my stamp down on it to move to the next round. I agree with you. I think it's a great mountain. It totally deserves to represent itself in round two. Absolutely. Uh, hopefully it's able to keep cool uh, while the world's getting hot. Uh, speaking of getting hot and heating up, why don't we jump on in to round seven? Round seven. In round seven, we have Melvin Odoom against J. Allen Yim. Okay, yes we do. A uh, British radio DJ and television presenter, uh, best known for presenting BBC Radio 1, versus J. Allen Yim, an American composer of Chinese descent and a recipient of the 1994 Guggenheim Fellowship. Now, Melvin O'Doom, best known for, as you said, representing Radio 1, attended University of Bedfordshire and studied a media performance degree. And it was at Luton that Melvin met and lived with Ricky Haywood Williams. And it was here that he also met actor and BBC voiceover artist Nee Ordetai Evans. And it was just success and... Uh production from there. It looks like he went into radio, then moved into television, and has even done other work, uh, including teaching dance and drama to kids with behavioral issues. Uh, he w was also a child actor, performing in a number of theater productions, uh, and even gave speeches to governors for the youth council. Now, he's a celebrity ambassador for the Prince's Trust charity, which is involved in helping young adults in life, and also the brother and actress of writer Yona O'Doom. Now, interesting thing here, he presented MTV Digs on MTV One, which I'm assuming is mm. the British version of Cribs. Yeah. Uh, maybe this is the translation. You know, there's some words that don't quite like, uh, what is it? 
boot. Oh, boot? Is yeah. that a good boot. one? Cracker and, and, and biscuit. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they might have thought, why are these adults hanging out in, uh, you know, tiny little yeah. wooden cages, basically? Yeah, lorry, lift. Ah, indeed. Uh, but you know what? Let's lift ourselves and our attention over to our other competitor real quick. J. Allen Yim. Uh, he is a smart and talented guy, born into a Chinese family in St. Louis, Missouri, attended the University of California, Santa Barbara, uh, College of Creative Studies, graduated with a BA in 1980. Uh, he also got a master's in music from the University of London, Royal College of Music, and he got his PhD from Harvard University. Now, he is a music composer currently employed by Northwestern University who has made a lot of music. It sounds like in 1994, won a Guggenheim Fellowship for Composition and Creative Arts, placed third in the Kennedy Center Friedheim Award, tied with Johnny Anthony Lennon. He's married to Marlena Novak, and he continues to make music to this day. And not only his own, um, but he's helping others to do so as well. Currently serves as a professor of music at Northwestern, and former students include composers Marcos Balter, Kristen Broberg, Rodrigo Cadiz, Aaron Cassidy, and Mark Engbretson. I don't know any of those people, but they sure sound important. They sure do. Speaking of sounding important, let's not forget our other competitor, Mr. Melvin O'Doom. Um cool last name he let's see co-presented the saturday night attain entertainment series bang on the money uh the series began in 2016 later in that year it was announced that he would take place in the 14th uh series of strictly come dancing uh they were he was one of the first competitors to leave the competition uh having the fewest public votes but in an ironic twist of events he and his partner went on to win the Strictly Come Dancing Christmas special. Oh, look at that. He, is there anything he can't do? Yeah, he's been in lots of things. Lots and lots of shows for this guy. But would I rather watch a celebrity in some comedy that probably involves British people or listen to classical music? I think that the answer in this case is going to be yes. You're right. It is. Indeed. So, uh, Melvin O'Doom, you are not doomed to be resigned to only the first round. You are succeeding and moving on to the next round of The Ultimate Tournament of Everything. Never heard of that guy, but he's apparently on the great British baking show. Uh, just music to my ears. Um... Just as to your ears, as perhaps this show and or podcast is. Don't forget, full-length episodes just like this in audio form every Tuesday and Thursday. We've got scouting reports where we just look at one individual contestant every single other day of the week. And we would sure love it if you would like, comment, subscribe, tell your friends, even your enemies, because we just love to have them here with us. Speaking of here with us... We find ourselves in round eight. I say, would you by chance have any round eight? Round eight! In round eight, we have Ibrahim Buyukak, British Buyukak? I, what is it with you got the little dots over the U? Awesome. Okay, uh, he's a Turkish screenwriter, columnist, director, and actor. 
never here. Look, there, there's, uh, yeah, little dots over you against everybody's favorite, a day subseraciana, a satin wave moth. And perhaps for those of you who may be new to this tournament of everything, uh, moths flock to this show like moths to a flame, and uh, we've been welcoming them in with open wings. Uh, this looks like a particularly special moth, looking at this article compared to the others, but I'm sure that this Ibrahim fellow is, uh, you know, no lightweight either. So I can't wait to see which one of these is going to be able to take down the other and move on to the next round. Now, Ibrahim's father is bongo drummer Baez Kalebeckler, or of the Baez Kalebeckler band. His sister is a violinist. His paternal family is of Turkish descent who immigrated from Bulgaria. His maternal family immigrated from Macedonia, and he's a graduate of Uladag University with a degree in economic studies. He and Oguzen Koch played in Baris 4 for the young football team. Uh, he went on to work as a columnist in Bursay's Ole newspaper, uh, contributed to a few others. He then joined a scenario group of Zeynep Kokak uh, and a bunch of other words where he worked as a screenwriter for years, uh, started to play some roles in the script. Then he wrote a movie. Uh, he also starred in some things. He's getting up and up. He wanted to pursue a solo career and uh, served as a screenwriter for comedy movies uh, in which he also starred. Uh, and then he even went on to directing. Yeah, he's done a lot of things in Turkey, specifically bringing in lots of money there. Uh, but is he as important to the world as this moth he goes up against? This moth is in the family Geometridae. The species was first described by Adrian Hardy Haworth in 1809, and it's found form Central and Southern Europe, North Africa, Asia Minor, and Transcaspia. And this is one of our favorite moments where we get to visually uh, or auditorily depict for you the beauty. Uh, but in this case, perhaps even you get to see it. Uh, the ground color is white with strong, silky gloss. Uh, the lines, gray. Seldom strongly expressed. On the other hand, usually all present. Uh, thus, numbering five on the forewing and four on the hindwing. Uh, that's a cool little sentence. The outermost line, distal shading of subterminal. Uh, the offset, absent. Yeah, it's definitely a moth and definitely looks like what you would expect a moth to look like. The species has a wingspan of 22 to 25 millimeters, and the adults fly in one generation from June to July. The larvae feed on low-growing plants, and it prefers warm slopes, sun-exposed forest edges, and long walks on the beach. Yeah, who doesn't? I bet even our other competitor, Ibrahim, uh, enjoys many of those same things uh, and might have a, you know might like to fly uh, from June to July. I, I really don't know. Um, we all like to hang out in abandoned vineyards and on dry salt marshes near the coast. So looking at his filmography, a uh, whole long list here. Still doing stuff, too. Looks like uh, he's only 39. A lot of life left in this one. Mm -hmm. um, he's got one child, uh, so... I'm sure they're going to be a star as well. I'd like to tell you the names or plots of some of these other ones, but it's I, you know, I, I don't know these uh, this language. 
Yeah, I've never seen some of those letters in my life. They For a second, I went to brush some of it off my screen, and it's actually just the letter in the, the word, so did not know. I like his glasses. Yeah, the man's got some style. He does, indeed. Uh, he's, he must be clever, writing and uh, directing, acting, you know, fairly prolifically. Uh, but could he stay, will his work stand the test of time, as has this moth uh, feeding on knotgrass, dandelions, and chickweed? We know that moths and small villages in Iran do really, really well in the mm-hmm. tournament that is the tournament of everything. I can't tell you why. I can't tell you why they show up so often, and I thought for sure we'd be through all of them already, but we're not. And I think that's going to happen again. I think we're going to have a moth move on into round two. Yeah, I couldn't be more psyched about it. Of all the moths that we have seen, this certainly is one of them. Uh, and in this <laughs> it's case... the mothiest. Yeah, it is the mothiest, uh, making me almost frothy at the mouth with excitement. And uh, this one's moving on from round one to round two of... The Ultimate Turtle It's always a moth. Ah, yes, indeed. Uh, we got to get t-shirts made up that say, Tournament of Everything, it's always a moth. Yeah. Yeah, I think we got to get those. For sure. If you'd like to send us one of those, we'd greatly appreciate it. You can reach us any way that you can reach us. If you're seeing this now, you probably know us personally and uh, probably have some way to get a hold of us, for better or for worse. Uh, but you can also send us messages through Anchor FM and uh, eventually through other means of social media that we will be attaching this podcast to. Uh, but now that we're here, let's get to... Round nine. It's about time for round nine. Round nine. In round nine, we have Riviere du Moline against Aiden Nicholson. Aiden, sorry. Aiden. Mm, yep, yep. You're going to want to make sure that you get that right. Uh, we've got a river here. And uh, where are we? Ah, and Canada makes another appearance. And uh, facing off against an Irish-born social worker and Canadian politician. Wow, Canada, you are just showing up here. What are we? Co- this is uh, this is fantastic. So let's figure out which one of these uh, Canadian elements is going to sit atop, not America, but of the ultimate tournament of everything. Yeah. So in English, this is pronounced the Malin River, tributary of the Jacques Cartier River, located in the unorganized territory of Lac Jacques Cartier in the La Côte de Beaupré Regional County Municipality. How's that for French? In the administrative region of Capitale Nationale in Quebec. Now, forestry is the main economic activity in this sector, um, with recreational tourism being second, probably to see all of those beautiful forests that they are cutting down. Um, The surface of the river is generally frozen from the beginning of December to the end of March, but the safe circulation on the ice is uh, generally made from the end of December to the beginning of March. Now, the Rochehouse River draws its source from the Lenorac Lake, uh, and they're giving me links to the lake located in the unorganized territory. So there's rivers that flow into this river, that flow into a lake, that flow into this river again. So, uh, yeah, a lot of, lot of water and a lot of rivers in Canada, apparently. Yep. Uh, beautiful, though. And uh, that's definitely going to help get you a bunch of trees. Um, looks like there are 
four main watersheds in the neighboring um, Malin River. Uh, there's one to you know east, north, south, and west. Uh, draws its source from many places. Uh, where does all the water come from, Rob? All the water ever? All the water ever. Space. Yeah, that's what they say. Some people say that it all came from alien, you know, alien planets. Maybe we all aliens. Know. It's aliens. If nothing else, if you don't know, it's probably aliens. Um, do you think our other competitor is an alien, Mister A. D. Nicholson? The oh, apparently not. He was born in Ireland. Uh, not uh, Proxima. Centauri or anything no, like that. No, not not an okay. alien. So uh, we can check that off. She educated at Trinity College Dublin and later at the London School of Economics, a social worker by profession. Nicholson worked at the hospital for six children in Toronto, taught at George Brown College and the University of Toronto, and also worked at Toronto Correctional Services and as a founding member of the Ontario Commission on the Status of Women. Well, I'm psyched to have such an amazing sounding person as part of our species. And not, you know, you know, from some other planet. Uh, makes us all proud. And uh, so it makes no, uh, you know, we shouldn't be surprised that she entered politics in the 1974 federal election, defeating Paul Hellyer in the riding of Trinity in Toronto, uh, and then was re-elected three times as a liberal. She served as parliamentary secretary for several years. She was on the liberal front bench after the party entered the opposition as a result of the 1984 federal election. She served as chair of the Public Accounts Committee from 84 through 87. Due to redistribution, her riding disappeared prior to the 88 election, and she decided to seek the liberal nomination to the St. Paul's riding, which was held by progressive conservative cabinet minister Barbara McDougall. Yeah, and uh, that particular... Uh you know, position was uh, the nomination rather was contested by Paul Hellyer, whom Nicholson had uh, previously defeated when he ran as a Tory. Uh, but he had rejoined the Liberals in 1982. Nicholson did defeat Hellyer yet again for the Liberal nomination, but was unable to defeat McDougal in the general election. Yeah, it's hard to beat people named McDougal, apparently. It is hard to keep, uh, you know, a good person down, but it's also hard to keep down a rushing river. Yeah, I'd probably say harder. So let's take a look at our other competitor just a little bit more. Um, it was formalized in 1985 at the Place Names Bank at the Commission de Toponymie de Quebec. Um, it is uh, 350 meters Elevation, 11 kilometers long. Um, it's way up north. Yeah, and you know what? No matter who wins, Canada wins and one person loses. That's true. Um, so, looks like we have, jumping back over to Aideen, we have lost her as well. Uh, passed in 2019 uh, after residing in Elliott Lake, Ontario. Uh, but before that, in 2003, she was the recipient of the Distinguished Service Award by the Canadian Association of Former Parliamentarians um, and had, yeah, so a nice long life, very successful, and uh, looks like she contributed a lot to the nation of Canada. Yeah, and that's the thing. Both competitors do. This mm. river, this lady, both of them adding a lot to Canada as a nation. Now, the question is, who's doing the most? 
Well, here's the thing. We can make more people, though, right? Like, we make people all the time. It's really hard to make more Earth. Yeah. And probably very difficult to make a uh, river, I would assume. Probably, I'm just thinking it's probably tougher to make a river than to make a person. I would agree with that. I think that's, I don't th- I don't know if anyone out there who disagrees with that. Yeah. Okay, I mean, yeah. every single one of us was created, um, and it seems that this river uh, was somehow formed, but it's been there probably longer than any of us. Yeah. And here's hoping it'll be there after us. And you know where it definitely will be? In round two. The ultimate tournament of everything. Well, we've made it through nine rounds. 18 of Infinity's oddest competitors that maybe you've seen in a while. A moth, a river in Canada, some guy in Turkey. That's just how it goes on the Tournament of Everything. So if you enjoyed that, there will be audio versions of this every day of the week. Tuesdays and Thursdays, full-length ones just like this, and every other day where we look at just one competitor. So think of half a round for your listening pleasure. Yep, and uh, just let you know, that takes the pressure off. There's no real competition. It's just fun and learning, and we get to look forward to when it inevitably does show up. So please, show up with us every single day. Like, comment, subscribe, tell your friends, tell your loved ones, tell everybody that you see because we don't have much time in this passing life, so we appreciate you spending it with us here on The Ultimate Tournament of Everything.